welcome back to part two of the Hennessy Falls podcast, proudly presented by Aloha Surf Manly. Yeah, so 2017 was a total write-off. You didn't compete. Was there any point in that year when you just thought, I'm done, I couldn't be bothered with this. This is way too much for me to handle. To be a professional athlete and a professional surfer, you have to be very strong mentally. Yeah, bloody oath. I remember... That 2017 year was so hard. I was unable to do anything. Like I was, would have been stoked if I even got dropped by Quickie. That's something I didn't add to. Like getting that third, getting the MRI in Hawaii when it all come to end after the feeling gingerly and stuff in Europe. Got to Hawaii, and the only reason I was kind of still surfing and trying to push, push the limit and trying to keep things going and keep surfing heats was because Quicksilver. They weren't on my back, but I just knew there was an upcoming open contract. I was going to be off contract at the end of the year. And that 2016 year, we were meant to sign a new deal in about May. And then Mickey Picon said, oh, don't worry, we'll sign one in June. And then we're like, oh, yeah. We're like, well, we'll sign one at the US Open. We'll get it. Kenny can come over and we'll get one done at the US Open. Rah, rah. And then US Open gets pushed back to Europe. And then Europe, it was someone in Europe when we are on the Quicksilver Pro Rara. And I was thinking, what's going on here? Like, And then my injury started coming up in Europe. And I was like, this is the stress of everything. Like not knowing if Quicksilver wanted me or not knowing if I was going to recall off for the, for the CT, not knowing if I was going to have backing through sponsorship, which I did have for the last 12 years or 14 years. So that was an abnormal thing for me. And all them pressures kind of compounded into that 2017 year where I had the whole year off and I just thought far out like I was just hit rock bottom just I, I wish I had the chance I wish I had my health even after being dropped from Quicksilver that I could have went and trained and got back on the horse and used that motivation that anger I had at Quicksilver to try to put it to something and work back towards it but just being sidelined and not being able to do anything let alone a, a bridge like trying to sit at home doing sit-ups or push-ups like I couldn't even do that or couldn't do nothing so I just sat back and had a lot of time to think and everything was compounding I remember I wanted to post something on Instagram and then I was just like had this had this attitude I was just like nah fuck it I was just like fuck everything just I couldn't kind of a careless approach but I think when everything builds up that much in your mind where you can't handle it it's more of like a fucking get release it, yeah get it out of my head and just don't think about it but I remember driving around port a few times i was just looking at the surf checking it and i'd just start crying i'd just be driving around going fuck look just went from being up there earning fuck, this much money like really good money as a kid to rock bottom earning absolutely nothing or earn the tiniest bit of money off my my rental property and stuff but it's just like having a more i was still paying off the mortgage and stuff of that house too so it's just like going from Dead set the penthouse down to the down to the, the, the bottom floor on the car park just overlooking the foyer, but it was that's even a good way to put it. So I was driving around town, I was just so unhappy, but in the big scheme of things, like I'm telling you the truth, but in the big scheme of things, it's not even it's not even a bad thing to happen to you. I was just I was just so used to the situation before that it made it that way, yeah. It would have been tough because like most people in the industry would not have seen that coming. Like when I heard that you and Quickie had departed company. I was like in total shock. I was like, wow, he's still one of the best servers in the planet. He's just, he's just got to get his body right. Yeah, but in saying that, I th- 
I know where they're coming from too. Like as a business side of things, if I was running that business and I thought like a return of investment, we've put this much money into this kid and this is what he's selling or this is, this is his return of investment. I don't think I could have sold that many board shorts or that much product of the money that they were giving me. Like that okay. would have been nearly impossible. And I still nearly think that to this day, like, even you guys, like somebody on a million, a million bucks a year, do they seriously get that million bucks or back? Like, do they, do they really get that million bucks back to the company? And even if so, that's a flat investment. That's like putting out a million, getting a million back. So that's really pretty terrible investment. If you want to put a million out there, you want to get three or four million back. So it's, yeah. it's a business decision. Exactly. And after seeing all these guys come in lately and clean up a lot of the the old school kind of business remedies that they had it's it's kind of good to see it all clean up and be a little bit more realistic because i think we had it all a bit too good back in the day but in saying that was super lucky and super lucky to be a part of that, that ma- era. magical time here yeah, money getting <laughs> thrown thrown away it's pretty sick but there is a lot of talk at the moment about that about how you know athletes on a whole there are paybacks were inflated nrl afl do you reckon with the uh, COVID-19 situation that, you know, the next lot of big signings, those million-dollar deals, I don't think they're going to be there anymore. No chance. No, I think maybe for a select number of guys, like maybe for maybe five men and five women or something like that, for your Julians, your John Johns, your Kalohas, somebody in a good region that, that hold a lot of weight to the, the surf industry type thing. But in saying that, there's not going to be every tom dick and harry on six-figure contracts that's for sure like i know me and a lot of my friends on quiz were on good six-figure contracts and you're like walking around doing everything you're like do you really we put in as much as we can like back to the company like i'm just shaking my head going no way but i'm lucky and i'll take it while i can that's for sure you came back last year really strong in fact when i saw you during the aussie leg i thought to myself it's about the fittest i've ever seen you you were really fired up and confident. How were you feeling at that time? I was just just stoked to get back into everything and get everything back underway. But just every year I feel like I'm coming back from injury. I feel like I'm getting a little bit more in, back into the swing of things. Just get them little 5 10% in the, the competitions, just little, little things to get used to, little decision-making and stuff. But coming back off them injuries definitely gives you a lot more hunger and everything to train harder and, and just... Does it make you appreciate it more? I've heard athletes say that before, but it's not like you weren't putting in before. You're 100%. I've known you since you were 10. You're always 100%. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes I could go a little bit overboard with the training. Like when it comes to them injury times during the Europe and stuff of 2016, I remember Chris Prosser saying to me, he's like, mate, you need to slow down to speed up. Like use that as your motto, like, slow down to speed up do way less because you're going overboard and you're thinking you got to do a bit too much but it does give you that sense of confidence too like knowing you've done so much and put in so much hard work it gives you that extra sense of confidence especially all the the training the, the cross training and stuff like that and time in the water but yeah i think it's funny when you get a couple little waves that come your way when when one's needed or or whatever you can look like the smartest competitor in the world but you can be doing everything right and then that wave just doesn't come in the last 10 seconds you can look like a complete idiot so it's funny surfing can make you look like a 
a wizard or, or an idiot pretty quick. 2019, you start with a series of big results. You leave the Aussie leg looking very confident indeed. From your point of view, how did the rest of the year play out, Matty? Yeah, I remember going to Japan and I was just like for a 6,000. I didn't really like being there. I didn't really like the situation or anything. And I was like, far out. I lost first heat or second heat. And I was like, far out. Should I have even come here and done that? Like it really... I don't know if it really pissed me off or what, but I was just like, I felt like I lost a good little two to three week training block that I would have had at home. I would have progressed a lot. And and being in the Aussie leg, I'm in my same routine and same program the whole time. Like I'm in my same training re- regime and everything. And then when I get thrown into the, the Japan thing, it's like you're traveling, don't have the same training equipment, terrible waves, different foods. I'm not, not complaining, but it's just different aspects and nearly thought i wish i stayed at home and just trained and got ready for the bigger events like us opens and stuff where i have a lot more meaning but then saying that i could have went to japan and got another keeper so it's just like that's what surfing's that's all about it's just rolling chasing. rolling the dice and even the start of this year i didn't go to morocco and didn't go to shiba in china that was like new year's day or something and after the three results in Australia, I was like thankful I didn't go over there because I'd be another six, six or eight, ten grand out of pocket, and you weren't guaranteed a result. Exactly, and, and I know a lot of guys that went there and got knocked first round, so they didn't get a keeper. They're six or eight, ten thousand dollars down, and it's pretty hard with the funds these year. These, these, these times doing the QS, it's pretty expensive. Like I know it costs a good twenty to thirty-five grand a year, that's for sure. Going into why you're in contention for qualifying just didn't happen. How disappointed were you? I saw a shot of you walking out after sunset, and I wouldn't say you looked pissed, but you you looked down. Would that be a, a fair point? Yeah, big time. I was. I remember uh, I had a few chances in the back half of the year. Like one event that I sh- I think I should do really well, and I have done in the past, has been the U.S. Open. Like I've won the junior over there i've got a third in the men's a couple fifths i think so if you can get a fifth over there in the primes or the challenger series as we call it now they're they're keepers definitely keepers for your your campaign your qs campaign so i had that heat in us open i was with my mates and i just i fell off a one little backhand turn and i was just there's no way i should have or could have felt fallen off on it it's just like the pressure or just thinking all of that about qualifying like the boys when i got in they're just like how if you just didn't fall off that one little left i think i got beaten in the end by 0.01 by thomas hermes on the last wave but just little increments like that you think of the certain places that i think i really should have done well and i i love to try wrap the qs campaign up before i even gets to hawaii like you don't want to be going there stressed and thinking need to do this need to do that because the hardest place to make things happen and most of the QS will say that to you, except for you, the guys that suit it. But the um, yeah, I felt like I lost a couple opportunities throughout that that back half. Not only Hawaii, but a lot of the Challenger series throughout that back half. And I think it was just knowing that the qualification was in was in within within reach, but it was just felt like I couldn't couldn't grab it, or just I don't know, it was just different. That's why I was going back to my 2014 year. Everything just fell into place and I was just having fun. So I'll serve my best when it's pressure-free. And sometimes when the pressure's on, it feels like you got a straight jacket on a little bit and your heart's beating four times as fast. It's different. Hawaii's a different beast. 
It is. Uh, you've got to go there. You've not only got to beat the guys that you normally go against, but uh, you're beating guys who are specialists over there, and it's such a pressure cooker situation. Um, as an athlete, how how do you go about like overcoming all those different obstacles? Because it is tough. Because like you, you actually said earlier in the interview, you know, it's being from port, it's a different kind of setup, and it's not deep water, it's not powerful ocean. Uh, to get a result in Hawaii, you've just got to have everything go your way. Is that correct? Yeah, and it's it's definitely an uphill battle going to Hawaii and, and getting the job done. But in saying that, I've got I've can take confidence out of a few of the results I've had there before. Like hardly ever I have got to the semifinals. You got sem- didn't you get a second somewhere? Was it the year you qualified? Where was that O'Neill event? Oh, that was in Brazil, the prime, oh, just the prime. before we went to Haleiwa. Yeah. That was to Toledo as well. Yeah. That was in. That was packed that day at that beach. I that's a like massive result over there. About seventy or eighty thousand people. That was gnarly. But I don't know about that many. But looked like good in between the Aussie and the US Open crowd. But crazy Brazilians. Still remember they had their speakers and that on the in the back of the cars. Like you'd wake up for an early, and they'd be still partying from the night before with these big <laughs> boom boxes in the back of the fucking in the Utes, and they'd be going just <laughs> driving around with the biggest car parties. You'd be like, oh, I know how to do it well. That's for sure. <laughs> So did you go away from at the end of last year, do you sit down and evaluate exactly what you did right, what you did wrong, and to take positives out of negatives to move forward? Do you, As an athlete, do you do that? Yeah, big time. Actually, going back to the back half of the year, that last year I failed big time. I had the Cascais comp. The, they had this mental, it wasn't even a Cascais. Where's that right, that real good right? That... um. Oh, wherever they held that thing last year in Portugal. Oh, I see. R- right. R- Ribeira, Ribeira de Grande. Oh, okay, yeah. Sick little right point. Mirror's a little bit like Bells, but a bit better. And I was surfing it the weeks before, and I was gaining so much confidence. I was thinking I spent a week there just to get to know the place, knowing that it was a big event coming up, that it could hold a lot of weight to qualify. And then got into the event, thinking my surfing was on point, 10 out of 10 of my, my capacity or my ability. And then I ended up picking these terrible waves. And I started the heat in a bad position. Cooper got the inside of me on this one bomb and, and got a seven on the first wave. And he only surfed it halfway down the point. And I was like, he smashed the three turns or whatever he did. And I was like, boom, next wave. I took, I took this little foamy wannabe double up. Just thinking, oh, it could, it could have this down the line. And all them little wave selection things. Like I, I saw in that heat, I took off in about 11 waves and they were all under sixes or something. And it was just like that frantic trying to get the job done without too much planning. It was just like go out there, get the job done. And every little mistake I kept making, the pressure was like building and building. It was like, oh, oh, I need to do this, I need to do this, only three minutes to go, I still need a six. And it was like, I think I had one last opportunity too. And I was just so puffed from all the shitty decisions I made and backtracking and paddling everywhere. It was just like I was just frazzled. I was just like, wow. You just it's funny how you can get into them situations. That's why after that I was so bummed. I thought, what's this one thing that's held me back from from doing my my best surfing in Rara? Ra? And we're just like, it's wave selection majority of the time. Like you don't need to be taking off on that many and being so busy. Just try and get the best waves of the heat and control it. And it feels like this year, coming into this two thousand twenty year, that's one thing made way mature decisions and and surfed way better heats and it feels so good when it's going all the way and feel like you're making good decisions but yeah it's it's hard because some waves can look terrible at the start and they can turn into little bombs and little runners and it's like 
you got to be that onto it. Surfing can make you look like the biggest dickhead, that's for sure. So now, you know, we're, we're well into 2020 and everything is being laid on, on the table. There's no tour at the moment. Um, what are you going to do in the next couple of months? Like, because, like you said, you've had an epic start to this year and somehow you've got to still physically and mentally keep yourself on the job. How do you do that and what are you going to do in the next couple of months? Because I can't see anything happening until the back end of the year, if anything happens at all. Yeah, in saying that, though, this thing come out about eight weeks ago when we were down at Manly about eight, nine weeks ago, and it's already nearly turning around where I saw Emirates uh, getting their flights and stuff ready. So maybe in another eight weeks there could be international travel or something like that. So I'm just I'm trying to stay ready just in case it's going to get flipped around and we're back on in August or something like that. But in saying that's a very unlikely situation, I know all your other guys are still training and and bettering themselves and that's what i want to do i just want to try better my overall surfing game and i'm watching little clips at clohe practicing at t street and like terrible little conditions like little knee high conditions and you can imagine what italo ferreira and stuff like that's doing so you just want to use this time beneficially and try better yourself and you definitely know that all them guys aren't laying around and sitting around doing nothing so you want to not get left behind that's for sure Put yourself in, I interviewed Isabella Nichols yesterday, put yourself in the shoes of one of those rookies. <laughs> how painful, you could nearly see it written on her face, how how painful it would be with all this going on right now. It'd be, it'd be horrible. Yeah, it would be horrible, but heard they got that extra little paycheck as well to help them out. That start, does help. To start the year, so a bit of insurance on the first, first couple prize money events, that always goes a long way, but... That's the the gift that they got from having such a good year last year. And even saying that, like, they did get their 24 grand off the, the two events or something. But even if they lost first year, first round for the whole year, they'd be guaranteed that 11 events of 12 grand. So it's a lot of money. Realistically, they're missing out on an extra 90 or 100 if it doesn't get And that's long. US. That's US. That's big, big backing, especially for... You guys like Morgan Sibilic and stuff, the underground Aussies that haven't had big contracts or much backing as of yet. So stuff like that can get them in the market to get a house or to put a deposit on a house and stuff like that in the near future. So it's it's massive. Like you gotta you gotta make hay while the sun shines and while the sun's not shining, they got a bunch of hay. It's just it's a bit it's a bit weird time right now. But I can see guys too like Morgan Sibilic, he he looked really nervous and stuff at Surfest and he looked rattled like maybe what's going to happen or what have I got to expect when I get to the events and he looked a little bit lost but having this time now to kind of think about it all and get his head around it and train a little bit more, I think it can benefit some guys like that. So it's a bit of a juggling act who it's going to benefit and who it's going to who it's going to destroy. For the next five minutes, I want to get uh, your dad to jump on the mic and have a chat. The one thing I love about our sport uh, more than anything else that drives me to be a part of the sport are the people. Without support staff and without people in your corner, I'll get you to answer it first before I get Lenny to come on, but how important has dad been to uh, helping you through not only the highs but more the lows? Yeah, big time is- even since day dot, it's everything I wanted to do. He was making sure he was working hard enough to put cash on the table to buy me what I wanted and 
even like my first surfboard, first skateboard, took me to every footy and soccer, anything I want to do. Like it was never like, you're going to be a professional surfer and that's where you're going to be. It's like, didn't push me down any industry. It was like, whatever I loved and enjoyed, he'd push me and try to help me to the fullest of that, that field. So I was, we'd travel around playing soccer and stuff on the weekends to under 10s, under 11s. And I started traveling that much where I missed the grand final or something. I was like, no, what's this soccer bullshit like i was starting to go good in the comps and stuff and make a little bit of prize money got sponsored by billabong and stuff so i was like we should try give this a good crack and see what happens and rah rah but like i said through footy surfing everything we i remember the rusty Gromfest and stuff like that like that would have cost mum and dad like every little junior event like that would have cost them probably a thousand bucks fifteen hundred maybe two grand for the week to be away like me and him for fuel, accommodation, food, entry fees. Far out. Then you put surfing equipment and wetsuits and everything on top of it. But far out. I reckon I'd be still repaying dad to this day if we if I saw the debt that I put him into back in the day. But even all the food and everything. It's just like there's so much you gotta you gotta give to your kids if you want to see them do well. And um, yeah, I'm just so so grateful to have have my parents has done as much as they've done for me and just having the friendship with my dad too like it's not like a father and son relationship it's more of like a a good like a best mate friendship i talk to him about all the stuff i talk to my mates and stuff and it's pretty it's good like that's why i'm still living at home in between travels and stuff because i find it's just like living at home with one of my mates and then he cooks up a few mental feeds for me too and then does a bit of filming and everything so it's like yeah, we've got a mental relationship and just to, how dad still wants to invest in my surfing career and he's going on a 65 this year and I'm going on a 26. So it's like, I would have thought we would have stopped filming at, say, 2021. 20, it's like, I'm just laughing now going, how long is it going to keep rolling on? Just would loving dad, it. Yeah, would dad be still filming me at 72 or 73? We'll see. <laughs> Might have to update the camera and get him a little chair. Welcome in, Lenny. So behind every athlete, there's always stories about parents and people in their corners give us an insight Lenny into what it's been like to be with Matt for all these years on his journey through his career oh look it's it's been adventurous it's been really good it's um matter of fact it's changed our lives in a lot of ways because I've always loved surfing myself but never was a really good surfer you know everyone thinks they're a great surfer until they see themselves on film but um Watching your kids and watching other kids perform has been really exciting to watch and follow. And as much as I've backed Matt, I love watching the other kids surf too and their families and their parents and uh, friends and stuff. Everyone, we've met that many nice people through the surfing fraternity. Everyone's really helpful and, I don't know, understanding and just really easy to get along with. Until you beat their kids, I suppose, and they might look at you a bit funny. But, um, you know, it goes one way or the other. It doesn't matter. you you just got to handle it. Everyone wants the best for their kids. They just want them to be healthy and happy. And um, I think that is something in Australia that is unique that, you know, from an early age, they, they form those relationships, those friendships. And not only do the athletes form those friendships, the parents do as well because you guys are right in everything. Like it's whatever happens to Matt happens to you and, yeah. and, and, and vice versa. So uh, those relationships, uh, 
Have they been really fun over the years? Look, I feel like I'm blessed, really. Not only is Matt a good surfer, but he's like my best mate. So being able to spend all this time with his children, like he got um, sponsored when he was 10 by Billabong. I remember Bruce Lee at Rusty Gromfest saying, who's this kid? I want him. And I thought, who's this bloke? Um, <laughs> you know, I've got to watch out this bloke's grabbing hold of my child. But Matt's made it that easy for me because he was so good that Billabong picked him up and, and then Quicksilver. So I haven't had to really buy any clothes or wetsuits or boards for him really since he was 10 because they all wanted to sponsor him and, and give him things. And So really it's made things easier for me. And because I work for myself, I can put in a few good hard days, make a fair bit of money. And take off with him. And it's like a, a holiday for me for working so hard. And here's this kid that's doing so well. So it, it made it easier for me, really. You know, if your kid's doing well, you, you don't have to bullshit to him. If your kid's not doing that well, you, you, you've got to try and build confidence up in them and, and help them even more. But Matt's opened that many pathways for us as a family, like just meeting beautiful people, you know, like... In surfing, even when I go to Manly and I see you guys, you know, and Joey and, you know, all the commentators and the judges and, um, and, and other competitors, parents and stuff, everyone's so nice and friendly and whether, whether, whether it's a little bit of bullshit or not, I don't know, but um, they are, they're, they're all fantastic people and I, I've been doing this now for 15 years or, you know, like with, with Matt and... and Imagine how many people that you've met over that period of time. You know, we can go to Sydney, Newcastle, Western Australia, Victoria, Queensland, and we've met all these lovely people that would have you in their home and trust you and make you feel so welcome, you know. Yeah, definitely. And for you as a dad, if you can think back to all the wins Matt's had, just what was the most special for you? Well, it's hard to say because the win's the win. It's always good, but um, I, I think... King of the Groms in France was very spectacular, especially because um, Mum took him over in 2008 because I, I had too much work on when he was 14, and then I took him over in two, um, when he was 2009 and 2010, and he won it in 2010 against you know Philippe. Um, that was really special. But also in New Zealand, we met. You know, being in the Kiwi land is so so good. Everyone's so friendly over there, and. To watch him win the ISA, and then to have, um, oh, what's he Connor from? His parents were the first ones to come over and congratulate Connor Leary. No, not Connor. Um, Connor Coffin. Connor Coffin's parents. Oh wow! You know, like uh, parents from America come over to me and shake my hand and pat me on the back and say, "That was sensational. Love to see Matt win. He's such a good kid, you know." And I've turned around and thought. Who the heck are you? Lovely to meet you. But geez, you're beautiful people. <laughs> Lenny, you share a special bond with Maddie. You've spent so much time on the road together, travelling, having fun. It's a real unique part of the landscape that is professional surfing. It must have been such a great journey for you over the years and still is to this day. Yeah, well, uh, I think every, every parents, you know, like to see their kids do well. Uh, I was... Um, lucky that I didn't have to do too much with Matt you know he had a great coach in Mick Kane and he's from 10 years old so I coached him from 5 till 10 and then from 10 years old Mick took over and I thought how special is this because 
I'm lucky enough to be good mates with Matt. You know, like we will always be best of mates, and I'm, I'm very lucky that way because a lot of kids don't have much to do with their parents. But then to have a, a guy like Mick come along, and then there was three of us, and he was like another dad, and as well as a good coach and a great person. And to have him come along and, and help us out sort of thing um, just made it so much easier and more pleasurable. But, um, yeah, I am lucky to be with my son and, and I'm still with him and I'm nearly 65, you know, so. You know, I saw you down at Manly this year carrying the boards, loving it and having fun. And, and like you said, you see those people that you form those friendships with over the years and it's it's always great to catch up with everyone. Oh, look, Matt's got a told me to slow up sometimes because I could be there talking to him for ages and <laughs> he might give me a little kick in the leg because we, we've got to go and do something else. But no, nah, just going down to the beach and throwing the ball around with him and um, look, looking at the waves and help reading them, you know, but I never ever tell him what to do or how to do it because he was well above me when he was about 10. I'll get Matty back on to, uh, to wrap up the interview, but like I said, it's not just about the athletes, it's about the, the people behind the athletes. So... Um, Definitely a good man, Lenny, and uh, been there the whole journey. Matty, I want to talk to you about someone who's been in your corner since you were a very young grommet. Kaney, I feel he's one of the best coaches in Australia, very underrated. Talk to us about the influence of Mick Kane. Yeah, he's just an unreal person as well, just such a genuine person where, yeah, just his people skills, I don't know, the way he comes across and everything, I think our personalities must be a good match or whatever too, but just ever since a little kid, he's... He could see that dad was always taking me. Then he said, dad, when you're working, if you ever need to lift to the waves, just give us a yell and I'll come pick him up, pack his school bag and his school clothes and we'll just have a quick early, then I'll send him to school. So we're like, oh, yeah, that worked perfect. So I wasn't missing a day at all, even if dad was or wasn't working. So I remember a few times like that, one or two of the times like I was pumping and I didn't get to school till about 10, 30, 11. We'd like, he'd write us a little note, we'd do some bullshit and he'd just help us out so much. I remember we are like, We'd go surf, get an egg and bacon McMuffin and a coffee and then go to school. And he was just such a role model. Like I just used to look up to him, seeing him surf so well and just being such a good person. And he had the connections in the surf shop and stuff as well. He was running local surf shops and had a lot to do with all the reps and everything. And I was like, I remember I was about nine or so. And I was like, Kenny, Kenny, you're going to sponsor me? You're going to sponsor me? Like, come on, like, come on. I need a sticker. I need to get one on my board soon. He was just like, yeah, don't worry, wait wait till you're 12 or something, wait till you're 12, we'll get something sorted. And then they ended up getting the billabong thing and all that and he was just like, he could foresee it all coming but there wasn't anything he could give me in the shop. It would have been coming off his own off his own back, out of his own budget. So it's like, <laughs> he was smart in that sense. But even now as he's moved from, he's still my coach, but as he's now playing more of a manager role, managing contracts and stuff, I remember a few years back before that three-year deal with Quicksilver, they were offering me, say, a certain amount of numbers and he ended up doubling it. Like, they were trying to lowball us a little bit, a little bit, six figures. It's, like, still epic money. And then Kenny comes in and after a few weeks of negotiation, he's got back to over double of it. And you're like, far out because you can contemplate whether a manager or whatever doing contracts will be that beneficial than say you doing it off your own back it's uh, like especially someone like toledo or someone with that much pure natural talent you're like how much could a manager actually get them but after seeing canny work his wonders and everything like that he's 
not only helped me with all my my people skills and respect and all everything like that but he's definitely helped me set me up in a good financial position and and different things like that so it's it's so incredible the people you can bump into on your in your journey through life and even going back to that like i was hitting up Kanye for a sponsorship at nine or ten and then he's doubling my six-figure contracts 10 years later down the track so it's like what a pathway yeah you're just like what a what a journey it's been it's been unreal 2020 like in the last couple of years for the ct you haven't been on it but you've been watching it talk us through who you believe are the guys who are going to go for the world title in 2020 if it goes ahead or even say let's just say 2021 if the tour doesn't go ahead who are the guys that were you were looking at this year that excited you i think your top top three standard guys like felipe italo and medina they hold a lot of weight in my eyes just to because they're so versatile they've got the big wave game and the they're just so incredibly good when it gets that under three foot where yeah john john excels when it gets bigger but doesn't match them i i don't think in the small stuff so it's like they've got that little bit of a five percent benefit but then toledo might lose that bit of benefit in lacking in the big waves but in saying that you saw him out eight foot bells and bigger j band stuff he's definitely the most powerful lightweight in the world so in saying that i i don't know about john john i don't know he's i love watching him and love love everything he does but after come back from the knee injury and stuff like that obviously this this time off is going to benefit him too but i think them brazilians they're just that hungry and that freaking good you're just like far out they're so consistent when you put them into a heat it's like john john surfs incredibly just naturally free surfing and then you put them guys in a heat and it's like they step up another 10 percent. you're like it's like it gives them this sense of i don't know if it's competitiveness or adrenaline or what but it's like they just go to that next notch up from the Aussie point of view, where is our next world champ going to come from? Because mm. people talk about the fact that the Brazilians are dominating, but over the course of the history of the sport, it goes in waves. It's not like we're lacking. It's just that they've produced three or four guys who are just exceptional. Yeah, and, and in saying that, coming out of a population of like 250 million or 300 million, then you're bound to do that comparing to a country that's got 25 million or 27. So That's a great point. It's like... In saying that, you think USA and stuff like that would have a lot more numbers and I always go off stuff like that, like population, like ratio to people surfing to compete and stuff. I heard this stats the other day. It was like, I think there's nine to one men to women surfers and even on the WSL membership, there's five to one memberships, but then the equal pay is equal and stuff like that. So there's, there's yeah, a few things you could you could talk about and stuff like that, but um, I won't go there, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> would you like to uh, put in reverse and yeah yeah out reverse there. out there would you, like would you like to go to the olympics one day you know talking about little different topics would you like to be a part of that olympic movement and, sorry i was going off track under the next the yeah, scene, scene who the next wave of australian talent the australian is. guys yeah yeah i remember when i was in the manly comp and i was doing well i think i was approaching the final day and reef put up a post then this guy from like locally that i knew from back in the day that he used to do board rides and stuff with he put on reefs he was like i don't know if there's only chance australia's got or the next the next best thing out of oz or something i was just like i looked at it, i was like man i thought you were behind me not behind <laughs> everyone else he kind of like lit me up and gave me that fire i was like fuck this guy i was like fucking want to back someone he doesn't even know not his fucking homeboy he just like but he gives me a little bit of fire too and i was just like oh 
that's how people are thinking. They're like, Australia has been lacking, but in saying that, you got your guys like Ryan Callanan and, and Wade Carmack, at least like Wade Carmack, you see him in the Halley Eva and stuff, or when he gets a decent wave, like a, not a decent wave, just a big, juicy, meaty wave. And you're like, he's one of the best in the world. If conditions were to suit him, he's incredible, that raw rail game power. Then you got Ryan Callanan. He's so all-rounded. You put him out chopes, he'll do really well. Put him in a two-foot right at snapper and he'll beat you in a heat as well. So it's like... And then his air game, stuff like that. So we still do hold a lot of really good talent. I think Wade and Ryan are just a little bit more lower-profile dudes. They haven't had all the marketing and stuff that a few of the other guys have had, so they're a bit more under the radar. But them guys are incredible. I think they get looked over a lot of the time. And, and Julian, Farid, he's not... He's not old. I know he's receding and stuff, but he's he's probably got a lot left in the tank still. <laughs> That's yeah, for sure. Definitely. and <laughs> Definitely to work for a part. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone holds on to them for grim life. Oh, I'm doing it right now. I'm only yeah. going back by the day. It's scary. <laughs> yeah. We have a funny joke at Manly where former World Tour surfer Richie Lovett, he started to recede and we got into him that much and he got that paranoid he shaved his head. Yeah, buddy, no. <laughs> So good. I call it the big McDonald's M. It's like the McDonald's M's just getting bigger and bigger. I'm like, fuck, I'm not. I was thinking the other day, should I just keep growing it? So I just I won't get another haircut because the last haircut I got in Manly too, did like this real short thing. I swear he's like cutting back my hairline, like going back to try and make it look like razor sharp. And I was like, don't be playing with that. Like, I haven't got much to play with. Like you're approaching... Some pretty dangerous times. The WSL have released a statement recently regarding formulas and formats and stuff like that. As a current surfer, I'd love to get uh, your your opinion on all the different changes they've made. Yeah, I'm not really too up to date with it, but I think the surf off and everything sounds pretty pretty good. I think after watching the NBA and stuff like that, like you can win every game all year through the regular season, but if you don't win the quarter semi and final especially the playoffs the main final then you haven't got the championship and it's like it's like that with nearly every other sport except for surf and like the nrl we've watched that our whole lives and stuff like that so they obviously do all that so to to hold a bit more of an eventful final day would be pretty sick but the waves have got to show up and to nearly hold that surf off you'd have to well you'd want the best day of waves through the waiting period and stuff so it'd be pretty hard to to pick but I'd like to nearly see with the destinations on tour and stuff. I was just watching this replay before of Adriana D'Souza and Felipe at 2014 Lower Trestles. I was like, I love watching that comp. Whenever a highlight pops up on the YouTube about Lower Trestles or something like that, I'd click that way faster than watching a replay at Fiji or Chopes. So I don't know if that's just me, but it's like, I love the intensity of Chopu when it's maxing out and stuff. And you're like, oh, some guy got the chance of drowning or he's going to get pile driven into the reef. But it's like taking off and just standing there and going straight. And it's like, that is sick. It takes a lot of skill and effort and a lot of balls. But to watch the whole game of somebody at it lowers or something, or to watch their turns, their timing, the air game, and something that you can relate to as well, like 99% of the popular, 99% of the general surfing public can relate to surfing at lower trestles. They can't relate to surfing at Chopu. But I can fully see where they're, where they're coming from. It's like to get viewers, you need high-impact, intense stuff. And it's like that 2014 Chopes did go off, but it's like out of the majority of the years, 
I don't know if, like, like I was saying, that's just my point of view. I'd rather watch a replay of, of France or Trestles or Snapper, that's for sure. Nine out of ten people I speak to say they want to see lowers back on. Big time. And, and that's the guys, you know, that I know in the elite ranks talk yeah. about it like that. Richie Lovett spoke about it when I did a podcast with him about he won it. You know, beat Taj in a massive upset there, but he just said it's the one spot the surfers love. And it's, and it's like a skate park on water. Exactly. I remember being up at the Huntington US Open at about 15. They were like, you got to go down the road and try that lower trestles wave. And I was like, oh, yeah, sick. We ended up venturing down there. And first wave, I remember I took off and I did this like, I was only 15 or something to try and silly stupid Supermans, but took off, did a Superman, did a couple turns, then went down the end section, did an air reverse. And I was like, how's that combo? I hadn't done a combo like that in however long because I didn't have the waves. And I was just like, wow. The power to slopiness and the just how forgiving it is of a wave, it's just, it lets you do so much. And I think that's what the TV viewing needs to see is people landing big tricks and big progressive airs and stuff because that's what a lot of the kids look up to too. Like 99% of the kids, if you're not living at Chopes or Pipe, they'd be surfing average beach break waves every day and they want to watch and see which airs and stuff they they can potentially be trying and doing so it's that's only my point of view though that's for sure last two points the uh decision to have more of a regional qs series um that's going to really be an advantage for those guys who are struggling financially isn't it to be able to stay at home and get the opportunities yeah it it does. It's really beneficial for local surfers, that's for sure. And it'd be sick of it coming to play. But after listening to Stay, Scowbraith and the Stab guys talk the other day, it's like, how how could the WSL do it when a, a QS3000, I think, costs them about 110000 to run? Or yeah. not, not even to run. That's just the prize pool. No, that's pool. the prize money. That's the prize money pool. A three th- uh, I can tell you that's right now, it's about 250 to run. 250 to run. So where would a Challenger Series be? About 350 400 to run? Oh, you need government funding, 100%. Yeah, but to do so many of them 250, like to do the 3,000s, to do 10 or 11 or 12 of them, it's like what return investment will they get out of it, the WSL I'm talking of? Yeah. Or how can they be financially able to do that whole thing and be be not running into debt too much, you know? Run run 11 or 12 events a year that are going to cost you 110 grand or 250 300 grand it's like where that where's that money going to come from really unless they get a massive sponsor because i can't imagine the surf shops like your local surf shops going well you run a want to run a three thousand? yeah i'll put 250 grand up sure it's like who's got the money to do that these days no one's got that much budget these days mm. uh, those days are gone that's why so i be, don't even run events anymore yeah be sick if the australian government or something like that like i know They've got a lot of money they throw around due to sporting grants and stuff like that. So it'd be yeah. like, if they were to back it, I know that's a long shot, but yeah, be there's a few potential kind of sponsorships and that'd be good if you could get out of the surfing industry and go your more mainstream and, and pump it right up. If they were to put it on like seven, on one of the weaker channels on seven or NBN or something like that. And there's just, there's a potential, a lot of, lot of things to do, but fingers crossed the next wave of, Australian surfers and that get a good chance like we have with the financial situation, the sponsors and just the life we've had. It's been unreal. Last thing, the uh, Challenger Series and they're talking about having the ability as a former World Tour surfer to be able to 
do the CT and then if you don't re-qualify, have the opportunity and somehow, I don't know how they're going to actually manage it, but somehow have the opportunity in the same year to re-qualify. So it's basically two tours and but giving those guys that, that opportunity without having to spend a full year back on the QS. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it is. I don't know, I'm kind of with it and against it. Like you could do that and it could work really well or you could do just a full split between the CT and the QS where no CT guys are allowed to compete in the QS and vice versa because I remember like not crying or whinging but you can go into some events and like in my Bolito heat last year, I drew Joanne Daru and Geordie Smith in a QS where a lot of the other guys were drawing like lower rank QS guys and you're like, how did I get so unlucky where I had a fucking three-man CT heat? when everyone else had like a lot easier lower ranked heats, but it was just the way I went up through the drawer and the way I got me first and seconds and stuff. That's the way I fell into it. But in saying that you can't complain as well. You got to beat everyone that's in the comp to, to win the thing in the end run. And going back to the other situation, the other scenario is if you want to be on the tour winning, you got to be beating them guys anyway. So to be beating them on the QS, you'd be beating them on the CT kind of gets you ready quicker, but to explain to the general public, it'd be a lot easier to explain if you just had a qualifying series and a CT because then you, oh, no, he's he's a CT surfer, but he's actually doing this QS to back himself up because he's not making it. It's just like so messy. And it's like when you're trying to explain to the general public, it's like they hardly know what the QS or the CT is rather than trying to mix three of them together. It's like, fuck. Well, mate, it's been a pleasure to sit in Port Macquarie with your dad and yourself and have a chat of... I've had the pleasure of uh, being a part of your journey since you were a very young guy and just have that belief that you'll get back to where you need to be because there's so many people, surf fans around the world, who love what you do, Matt, and we wish you all the best in the future. Nah, thank you very much, Ads, and appreciate you and your, your voice all for over all the years. You've helped us out a lot big time at the beach and it's never never an event and the event's not the same without you so thanks a lot brother and hope you keep doing it for a while hope to see you down manly next year and keep the ball rolling stay safe bud thanks brother the hennessy files podcast series proudly presented by aloha surf man thanks for listening and don't forget to check out next week's episode